Okay, let's get into it. Beck's going to read to us this morning from Matthew chapter 5. Morning, church. Um, yeah, so reading from Matthew chapter 5, 43 to 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. I want to just take a moment to pray before we reflect on that scripture. But um, I I thought I'd use this prayer that was in... uh, my devotional this morning, some of you may use Lectio 365, uh, the daily devotional or reflection on scripture app. And uh, this is the prayer in today's um, Sabbath prayer. Uh, Lord, you told us to ask the Father to send out workers to bring in the harvest. This we must do. Lord, please ignite a renewed passion for the gospel in our lives and a sense of urgency in our churches, that we may preach the way of salvation clearly today, that you that, that many might see and believe and put their trust in you. Lord, mobilize us as a missionary movement, wherever we live, and to every tribe and tongue. Holy Spirit, come revive us again. Come to us once more as you came to that first prayer room in Jerusalem, that we might be propelled out of our meetings and onto the streets with new courage to preach the gospel that thousands might encounter the resurrected Saviour, Jesus Christ. And Father, that is our prayer and our heart this morning. We want to be good reflectors of you, of who you are, Heavenly Father. Lord, we want to uh, go into the harvest field you've put in front of us as reflectors of your love and your, your, your extravagant love, even for your enemies. Help us to... Uh, to, to see and to understand what and, and to grasp what that might look like in our lives, to be good reflectors of you as we go to love and to reach the lost, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was, uh, I was checking my uh, Instagram on Tuesday night and I saw a post from a friend which alerted me to some news that was developing at the time. Um, on some of you will have read this story uh, or seen it or heard it, heard it on the radio maybe. Um, on Monday, there was a guy by the name of Andrew Th- uh, Thorburn who was appointed as the new C- CEO of, of Essendon Football Club. If, you don't, if you're not into football, that's an AFL club um, who are looking for a CEO. Uh, so within, I, I think, about really hours of him being appointed as that, uh, that football club CEO... Uh, some people in the media uh, and online highlighted that Andrew Thorburn was also the chair of the board of a church. Uh, this church is uh, called City on a Hill. They're an Anglican church in, in the Diocese of Melbourne, and they um, are more of like a church planting movement, I guess, a lot of, a lot of church plants. And um, 
as well as highlighting that he was the chair of his church, it was highlighted that there were some quotes from sermons in about nine years ago from this church, one from the pastor, another from another speaker at the church, about hot issues like homosexuality and abortion. And uh, in light of these being raised, there was pressure put on Andrew Thorburn to quit either as the chair of the church board or as the new CEO of Essendon. Um, there was much more to it, and I'll, I'll say a bit about that. But um, basically, on Tuesday, then he then twenty four hours later he resigned um, as the CEO of the football club. Um, and of course, a whole range of radio interviews and opinions online and articles and all of that followed. Um, all of which I've tried to keep up with this week. But on Monday, on Tuesday night, when I read this, I was really gripped by this for a few a few reasons. Um, you probably know, if you, if you follow the news, there's been Christians in recent years who have had pressure put on them in Australia, uh, but often it's been someone who's quite vocal, you know, someone who's uh, maybe connected with a church that has actually quite radical views, and then they're very vocal about it. Um, Israel Folau is one example, and then that leads to conflict or in, in, in issues and a big you know, media case. In this case, I was just captivated by this story because Andrew Thorburn leads, sorry, chairs the board of a church which is very mainstream evangelical, an Anglican church in the Diocese of Melbourne. <laughs> I know Vickers in the Diocese of Melbourne. Um, I've met Guy Mason, the pastor of City on a Hill. I know people involved in that church. The most recent sermon on City on a Hill's website was by a guy who lived down the hall from me when I was at residential college at UWA and I knew his wife and kids. <laughs> that, that's sort of how close to, it's not some random out there, you know, extreme church. Most, um, most recently, this church, City on a Hill, addressed, um, are addressing in their sermon series hot political topics like that and are trying to address the nuances and the complexities and how to try and approach from a holistic and loving biblical perspective on free speech and, and sexuality and women's rights and um, race and all of these things. Um, and so as I read about this story, I, re- I, I just was looking at it and going, okay, I, I understand, and please hear me right, this is, it's complicated. It's always complicated. There's always a complex number of things going on. There's stuff about that came up later about Thorburn's role at NAB and the Banking Royal Commission, um, and then there's some stu- the stuff that Guy Mason said in the sermons. He has, since, you know, nine years ago, he has since said that he regrets and he would say it differently now. So there's all these complexities, but it still gripped me. The story still really, really captured my attention because when it's all said and done, what it basically seemed to boil down to was that a guy who was associated with a church that has a good reputation, holds um, very much the same and holds very much the same views as me and our church, as a result was given an ultimatum, quit as the chair of the board of your church or quit as CEO of this football club. That's kind of what it seemed to boil down to. And again, I know it's, these matters are always complex. I get that. But I've tried to read all the articles this week and listen to all the, the radio interviews, and I, I, it really is bizarre. It really is a, a surprising story. And I think Christians are generally a bit too quick to cry, this is an outrage, we're being persecuted, ah, you know. 
I, I think generally are. We're supposed to be quick to listen and slow to speak. But as I was reading about this on Tuesday night, I was almost... I hope your laptop's all right, Clayton. <laughs> I was almost shaken a little bit and began asking God, what does it look like, God, in these moments, in this place that we've now reached, to access and reflect the reality of the kingdom of God? Like, where's your kingdom revealed in this kind of stuff, God? Where, where, where do we find your kingdom? How do we live in your kingdom? Um, and I, I was reflecting on this, and I felt like I should go and, and read again the Sermon on the Mount. Now, to be honest, we're, we're doing this, this series, um, Kingdom Reality, Sermon on the Mount, and, and, and um, I had the next few weeks of the series, including today, mapped out, looking at Jesus, unpacking kingdom living in the Sermon on the Mount, unveiling the reality of God's kingdom when it's so often hidden by the reality of life that's going on all around us, right? How does Jesus, Jesus wants the kingdom of God to break through into our world so that his reality invades and, and, and takes over our reality that we're so often used to, right? I had the series mapped out. We're going to do a bit on the, you know, the, the don't worry what you eat, drink, wear passage from Matthew 6 today. Then next week, wise is the one who, house who, the one who builds his house on the rock, Matthew 7. But I, I, was, I went back and read it. And I went back to Matthew 5 and I started reading again and I read this passage from the Sermon on the Mount, Love Your Enemies, and it just hit me. Okay. Wow, this is, this is huge. This cannot be, be skipped over. And I don't really want to speak on this today. I, I, I know, though, that I, I really need to speak on it for me personally to be less than comfortable speaking about these realities because they're important. And I know it's important for us as a community because whilst this is so, so difficult, uh, it's so central to the vision that the kingdom of the, of the kingdom that Jesus presents. And in a way, I think what happened with this week with Andrew Thorburn and Essendon and City on a Hill highlights... What, that what Jesus says here is more important today than it's ever been, at least in rec- recent decades. Now, if you're wondering where, where you're going with this, Luke, <laughs> and you're nervous, please, please bear with me. My request is that whatever your political theological views are, I want to ask you to, to show me a little grace in what won't be a perfectly delivered uh, address of some tough issues. But I, I hope this will help us just to both experience and reveal God's kingdom more fully um, and, and think about where God is challenging us wherever we, wherever we sit. Let me first look at what Jesus said. Uh, he said, You have heard it said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. Now, he, what he's doing there is just addressing the common understanding that people have. right? So um, this is the normal worldview, love your neighbour. But you don't know about your enemy. They don't love you back. Even Google knows what this normal thinking is. I was typing in, I think it was an email to someone. I was typing in the title, what the title of the sermon would be. And I typed in, love your, and then it auto-filled, neighbor. I was like, yeah, Google, Google knows what's normal and what, you know, the, the way that, you know, what you have heard it said, love your neighbor, love your neighbor. Whereas I was going to type something different, love your enemies, Right? And we all experience this. The world around us just is. The world around us is the reality we inhabit. It's the reality we see, the reality we feel. And the thinking in that world is love your neighbor. But I tell you, Jesus said, 
But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. What an amazing statement, that to be children of our Father, our Father in heaven, the Father that Jesus teaches us to pray for in his prayer, Father, may your kingdom come. To be his children, we must reflect his character. To be his children, we must reflect his nature. And his nature is to love those who don't return that love. To love those who don't return that love. Jesus is doing two things, which really link. Showing us a kingdom way, the way of the kingdom of God, and pointing to who his heavenly father is, the king of this kingdom. That's who he really is. The Bible says this, and we don't have to talk about this, but this is, this is the, the truth of the scriptures. We were God's enemies. But he made us his friends through the death of his son. We were God's enemies, but he made us his friends through the death of his son. In our sin, we by our nature, our sin nature, rebelled against God. Now that doesn't just mean we ignored him. Oh, sorry, God, we're doing our own thing. Because when we sin, we're actually actively fighting against him. We're progressing one kingdom which is at war with God's kingdom. And that's deeply uncomfortable to talk about, but that's the reality of what sin does and what sin is. And so God is a loving father who loves his enemies, not just his friends and his children and his allies, his enemies. He loves us. To be his children, then, we need to adopt that same heart and that same character to love our enemies. So I wonder, though, if in thinking about loving our enemies, in our situation where we're not residents of, let's say, Ukraine or a place where we have literal enemies hurling bombs at us, I wonder if it might be better to talk about loving those or helpful to talk about those who are at risk of becoming our enemies in here. What I mean by that is in Australia, for the most part, we don't have full-blown enemies. We don't have people literally trying to kill us or steal from us. And honestly, if you have someone in your life out of a set of circumstances out of your control who is literally trying to harm you, my heart goes out to you. I hope the church can be a safe place for you. That might be the situation, but I think the majority of us don't have someone literally trying and spending their life on trying to harm us. But what we do have is people on the other side of politics, people trying to belittle our views, maybe people trying to badmouth us or or drag our name through the mud. And if we're not careful, they can become, in here and in here, our enemies. Does that make sense? Like, Like... People who, they irk us, we want to silence them, we want maybe to, if we're not careful, do more than silence them. They might smile nicely when they see us and even pretend to be on our side, but inside, in our hearts, they are becoming, in here and in here, our enemies, enemies to us. That's the risk we face. Let me address the events of this week a little more, uh, and as well as some of our, our own views as a church, and then what we might do with some of this. City on a Hill, uh, the church where Andrew Thorburn uh, chairs the board, holds a historic Orthodox view of the Christian faith and, and most Christian issues. 
there were some occasions, unfortunately, where the way their pastor and another, uh, their pastor Guy Mason and another guy portrayed that view, that, and particularly around abortion, that in, in Guy Mason's words was wrong. He said it was wrong, the way he said that. Um, but ironically, as I said, the last few months, their teaching has been at looking sensitively around a range of really hot topics, race, gender, sexuality, free speech, all of this, much of which I listen to some of it. I would endorse much of what they've been saying as a church. Our church and our leadership too hold an evangelical slash orthodox view of the Christian faith, including around matters of sexuality and marriage. But not every member of this church holds that same view. And there's been times in a way like Guy Mason, the pastor of this other church, that I've been less than gracious, less than loving in the way I recognise this or address the issues and, and be, in trying to be kind and recognise the complexities and the nuances because, goodness me, there are so many complexities and nuances around these issues. And having read Jesus' strong words in Matthew 5, I would want to be crystal clear we must not make people, I must not make people of opposing views to my own, whether they're Christians or otherwise, an enemy in my heart or in my mind. And if that is the way it feels, that they are like an enemy, or that's who the world says our enemies are or my enemies are, or even if someone themselves says, Christian, you're my enemy, my response is to be love. Our response is to be love, right? Now, let's say you're a Christian and you're interviewed by David Koch on national television, and he says to your face in front of millions of viewers, you're not loving. You said homosexual people are going straight to hell, which is exactly what he did to Guy Mason who was given very little chance to say, uh, actually, that's a misrepresentation. We don't believe that at all. Let's say that's the position you're in. Our response to, towards David Koch, publicly and internally, is to be what? Love. And that's hard. I think you would agree, right? And in these kinds of scenarios, the words that are, that are used so heavily around issues like this and narratives like this is, is inclusion and acceptance. Um, and there's a narrative, as you would know, that Christians who hold certain views aren't inclusive and accepting, and in many cases that has been true. We've acted terribly. But Christians are meant to be the ones who properly display and exemplify inclusion in a far more impactful way. And this is, and, and it's not a inclusion until you disagree or, or accept it until you, you know, uh, quit the board of your church, for example, but loving those who persecute you. That's what it really is. Loving those who hate you, who misrepresent you responding with grace and with love. And, and notice that as these things happen in our world, people of a range of perspectives are noticing that this inclusion and acceptance 
narrative unless, you know, that, that's inclusion and acceptance unless you're an evangelical Christian or unless you disagree or whatever. This isn't all it's cracked up to be. People are noticing that this isn't what true inclusion, true inclusion and acceptance should be. However, rather than harping on on that, oh, it's so unfair to us Christians, if the church doesn't step up, and show what actual Jesus-like inclusion and acceptance is all about, then nothing changes. Does that make sense? Like We've got to provide and show the alternative, otherwise the, nothing changes. There's no progression in society. You, you notice that there's this, there is this range of narratives in our world promising kind of a utopia, like a, a heaven on earth, you know, it, it's, so it, it's, it could be a range of things, whether it's the inclusion, acceptance thing around sexuality, whether it's a certain political model, if only we go in this direction, the world will be better, approaches to education, uh, whatever's promised on TV, whatever it is, if we do this, the world will be great, a promise of utopia, a promise of heaven on earth. We know there's only one thing that will, that will prove that heaven on earth comes through living the way of Jesus, and that is loving those who persecute us, loving those who spit on us, loving those who there ain't a chance they're showing love in return. But then I think it goes in that more subtle level as well, loving those who smile at you but make your life difficult behind the scenes. Loving those who rub you the wrong way, who talk nicely to you but behind the scenes are pushing an agenda that hurts you and the people you love. Because these are the people who can far too easily become enemies in our hearts. They might seem like friends, but they're becoming enemies. We're demonizing them in here. So I want to be honest this morning and just share my own struggle with this a little bit. Um, so there's some people group of people, not in this church, I promise you, not in this church, but in other churches. Um, actually, before we go there, how are we doing? Are we okay? You, you all still there? All right. All right. I, I don't tend to choose these things because I think it'll be light, light and fluffy and feel good, but, but more because it's like, oh, I think we need this. Right, so there's some people, in, not, in, not in this church, but, in, but in, in other churches where I sort of have relationship. Um, Several people who uh, have a particular mindset, who act a particular way, who lead a partic- others in a particular way, um, who I struggle to, to, to um, they, they often become enemies in my heart. I often begin to see them as enemies. I try to ensure that's not the case. I try to ensure that in my heart and mind, um, I, I'm, I'm trying to act, think with love towards them and act with love towards them, but it's a struggle. And, and there is a reason for this. It's not just because sort of, it just, it just happens that way. There's a reason for this. God's called me, I believe, uh, and others have affirmed, to serve the people of a particular movement or denomination called the Uniting Church. We don't often talk about the fact we're a uniting church, but we are, and we're here, and um, and uh, I'm called in this season to be here and to serve and to love all of you, but also there's a, a, that wider call of the Uniting Church. It's a movement, a denomination I don't understand much of the time, a movement that frustrates me, makes me want to scream sometimes, but when God calls you to something, he does something really, really annoying. He puts his heart for those people in you. So without really being able to explain it sometimes, I care about the people of this strange and broken denomination, the Uniting Church, the people busting their backs to keep 
old churches open and the, the oldies who are faithfully serving and trying to pass on faith to the next generation when they're struggling to keep the doors open, the small congregations who are doing their best. I, I care about them. And there are some people who, because of their ambitions and their philosophies and convictions, are hurting this church, this movement that I love and I'm called to. And much of the time, I just try to not care. Like I, I, I try it because it's easier if I just don't, just don't worry about it. Just, it'll sort itself out. Don't care. Don't love Luke. It's easier to do it that way. But that just leads to depression in the belly of a whale because I've run from God like Jonah did. So I look at what these, these people are doing and everything in me, because of my love for those in this denomination, everything in me says that these people are E-N-E-M-Y, enemy. And I want to hate them. And I, I feel bitterness and I feel anger and pain over what I see they've caused. And I want to get rid of them and I want to scream at them. And I want to take this sermon down offline afterwards because... <laughs> and I want to shame them. And Jesus says to me, love them. Not endorse their behavior. Not sit back and do nothing and not try to fix the issues. Not, not, not avoid confrontation because it's faithful. Yes, all of that. But love them. And so that means not just bless the friends and the allies, but also look for ways to bless the people I'm tempted to call enemies and, and to consider how maybe their harmful actions may be born out of their own hurt and pain. Just as the stupid stuff I do is usually a result of my insecurities that's a result of how others have hurt me or I've been hurt. To, it's a call to pray for them to ask God to give me a heart of love for them and to ask God to bless them, to look for ways, when it boils down to it, to bless them in order to reflect the character of God. Whether they insult me or badmouth me or fight against me as I try to serve God and live out my call to reflect the character of God who loved his enemies. And this is the whole point, right? We're called to be reflectors of the very nature of our Heavenly Father. We're called to be perfect as our Father is perfect. Wow. <laughs> to reflect who he is. We experience the reality of his kingdom when we are displaying who the king is to others. Um, the same is true. I'll just say that again. We experience the reality of his kingdom. We live in his kingdom. We reflect his, when we display who the king is of that kingdom. The same is true, if you think about it, of the kingdom of this world. When we go down this line, give people what they deserve, hate our enemies but just love your neighbour, then we are reflecting and imitating the father of this world. He's known as Satan. And when we reflect his nature, we experience the fruits of his kingdom. Because we're living in that kingdom. And that, the fruits of that kingdom are chaos, pain, and brokenness, and mess. And that's why these, these visions of utopia, this kind of narrative of the world will be wonderful if we just live this way, that, the world, that people are promising us left, right, and center in the media, left, right, and, and everything in between, these promises are presented to us every day, whether it be inclusivity and acceptance, or promises through advertising, or live the Aussie lifestyle, Whatever promises humanity on earth, oh, sorry, heaven on earth to humanity, 
These will always prove to be false promises. And I think people will pick up on that. People will realize this is not promising what it, what it promised. What, you know, it's not, not delivering what it promised. Any narrative or agenda that's not the gospel and doesn't match Jesus' character and message will show itself eventually by its fruit. But the good news is that on the other side, if the kingdom of God and its fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, etc., is revealed through his people, we'll see that fruit. If this is not revealed, though, by people like us who return hatred with love, who, who return slander with blessing, who return persecution with loving service, then I think people will just move on to the next false vision of utopia, the next false vision of the, the world will be better if we... So we have to ask a really hard question. Are we reflecting the nature and the character of the Father who, as we read in the Scripture, brings rain to the righteous and unrighteous? He doesn't, doesn't choose one or the other. Who loves his enemies, he means. Are we loving our enemies however they treat us? Now, to sort of move then to application, how, how do we do this? Maybe you say, okay, Luke, I got it. Yes, I want to, but how? Because it's not easy. I can't. I just. It, how, do, how do you even start with this? And it's true. It's not easy. In fact, I would say it's actually impossible for for ordinary, broken human beings like you and I. It's just impossible. It's literally not possible to respond to hate and persecution and evil with love and selfless selflessness, not consistently, not genuinely. Have you ever just tried? I'll try and not sin for a whole week, if we, even if we just try really hard. I struggle with people who aren't actually even my enemies, as I just shared. They just irk me and, 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 and my heart begins to make them my enemy. Even that is a battle. So it's, it's impossible unless we first receive that same love. And this, this is, I hope this is the one thing you take away today, if, if nothing else, that we were... God's enemies, but he loved us and made us his children. And so we can only love our enemies because he first loved us. And if we receive that extravagant love, if we think, this is why it's so important to grasp and receive the gospel. If we think that before we turned to Jesus in repentance, God was generally delighted with us. He just, he's like, they're not bad. They're not so bad, right? We thought that, you know, we were friends who were easy to love in God's eyes. Then we've got a problem. He loved us passionately. He wanted us to be his children. Don't, not discounting any of the, 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 the parable of the, the lost son or anything, but in terms of our position before God, we were his enemies. We advanced a kingdom that was fighting against his own. So if we think we were pretty lovable, and so God's love for us is nice, but it's not that radical. Then God's love's really not, it's not that big. But you and I were enemies, not easy to love. And in our sin, we fought against God, but he loved us all the same, even giving his son for us. And friends, only when we grasp, when this gospel grips us, 
when this good news that we've been turned from enemies to sons and daughters, when this grips our hearts, only then can we be made able to, to respond to our enemies or the people who are becoming enemies in our hearts and mind with, with that love. Only when we ourselves have recognized and received such radical, extravagant love can we be transformed into people who have the capacity to love those who hate or blaspheme or push against or persecute us. And so do we, have we grasped that love? Has that, that extravagant love gripped us this morning? Whether someone's literally trying to hurt you at present or whether you just can't stand Daniel Andrews or Scott Morrison or might be your Christian colleague or this may be the most relevant to some of us if we're honest, your husband or wife at times when you clash. Maybe you just maybe it's just what happens in your mind and what happens in your heart. If the gospel is impacting you, so much so that your heart is transformed by his love. This enables us to love those who aren't easy to love. And so I just want to pray, and Andrew will just sing a song, Andrew will lead us a bit more prayer later. The gospel grips us this morning. We know we were his enemies and he's brought us out of that kingdom into the kingdom of his light to make us sons and daughters. Father, now this is hard stuff, but at the same time, unless we dig into the hard stuff, we, um, we dumb down and we, 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 we reduce the, the true extent of your radical love for us, that you loved us while we were enemies. You loved us while we were your enemies. And you turned our lives around. You forgave us for our sin, even before we responded to you in repentance. Help us to do that again today, I pray in Jesus' name.